electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Please welcome our celebrity guest. The winner of Emmy, Peabody, DuPont, and Globe Awards. He's a co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From the paper report, here's David Faber. Jeopardy's newest guest host, who is David Faber. We can't wait to watch him in action this summer. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Uh, the tug of war in the markets continues coming off of yesterday's gains. Few, uh, earnings are out in force today. Airlines, AT&T, Chipotle and more. Jobless claims 547,000 is a post-COVID low. Our roadmap begins with the earnings deluge, Dow, Whirlpool, Intel and Snap after the bell. We'll talk to Dow CEO Jim Fitterling and Southwest Gary Kelly this hour. Plus Credit Suisse is tapping investors for cash to shore up its widening Archegos loss while it struggles to retain key employees. Employees. And President Biden pledging to cut U.S. greenhouse gases 50 percent by the end of the decade. It is the latest push to aggressively combat climate change. Carl. Guys, the lead is Jeopardy today. No. Uh, let's talk about it, David. When, when did you get the news and, and what's the shooting schedule going to be like? Uh, you know, you, you uh, tape five shows in a day. Uh, so it's a long day. Uh, I'll get a chance. I think that there will be some rehearsal as well, which is good because I'm going to need every second of it. But, uh, you know, go out and do it. So I'll, I'll do it uh, late next week, but it won't air for quite some time. Uh, and as you can see there, of course, uh, I am uh, I'm sure many of the fans of the show were like, well, we know all of those other people. But who in the world is that guy? Hardly. Um, but uh, can't wait. Looking forward to it so much. Uh, as you guys know, of course, I did compete. Thankfully, won when I was on Celebrity Jeopardy, given questions. So now I get the great opportunity to host uh, five shows, and just hopefully I will uh, do okay. I've been watching a lot of Trebek, man. That guy, oh, whew, was he good? Oh, man. Uh, so, you know, just trying to learn from the master. Watch every day, and uh, hopefully won't disappoint. But uh, we got so much news to get to. I didn't expect no, that. No, I have to that, ask you. Yeah, what? Uh, I was watching Anderson Cooper last night. Yes. Obviously, we won't watch this. Will you are you just watching Trebek over and over again? Or are you doing comparisons like, you know, Stephanopoulos? I did like the way he did it. No, I'm really focused on Trebek. Right. Because that's what I was going to say. It's just DiMaggio. You just watch yeah, it over and over. Watch, Ted yeah. Williams, watch me. And over. all the little things. It's amazing how much how many different things you need to sort of master for a such a short amount of time. But as the host of that show, even though the game is the star, you are constantly moving it forward. Right. And uh, there's you know, there's no zoning out. No. There's no sitting there while Jim Cramer talks and being like, no, 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 no. You can't Carl, do that. Carl, I think it's one of the maybe one of the highest risk jobs in all of TV because people are just watching. <laughs> well, you, and I think. Right. Is he good? Enough? I, I think it must be incredibly challenging, um, David, because uh, you'd never see the show always has momentum. Right. Yes. I mean, you'd never see anyone really trip. And I, yeah. I can't imagine the challenge of keeping everything straight and keeping the contestants in line. Yeah, well, you're going to see. Uh, now, of course, I know that they have an incredible <laughs> staff there that makes everybody look good regardless, uh, because it is taped, thankfully, and not live like we are. Right. But 
You're right, Carl. Uh, so hopefully, as bad as I might be, and I don't intend Stop to be it. at all. Stop it with the self-deprecation. I will, uh, I will, uh, I'm sure I will be made to look good. But I can't wait to do it and, uh, and be back and report back. And then we'll, I think it airs in early August. August is what the word yeah. is that I hear. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, we should be talking about a lot of other things I know, this morning. I'm just fascinated by it because the show is a national phenomenon. It is. It's amazing. I don't think my kids have ever missed a show. It's amazing it how many great. people have, uh, have gotten in touch and how many people <laughs> do. It does unite families, which is yeah. such a great thing. People watch it every night or they tape it. Um, uh, but, guys, let's get to the news this morning. So much of it. I want to start, Jim, with, with Arkegos, actually. Yes, I'm glad you are. It's a story that I've followed so closely, or at least tried to, of course, the week that it really hit, I was away. But, uh, you know, we're starting to see even more. Credit Suisse, of course, has been at the center of it. It was originally a $4.7 billion loss. Last week, you may recall, when I re- after the close, I was reporting on those discovery trades that we didn't think. We thought they were done. Well, they weren't done. And then one of the key questions was, well, are they losing even more money? And the answer is, yeah, they are. Almost another $700 million. Of course, they've already dismissed any number of people who are associated with trying to judge risk there and clearly failed to do so. But you're also looking at a stock price that has just dropped down dramatically. And, you know, it, it, it raises another question. Stock comp, uh, my understanding is, from people close to the company, comes tomorrow. In other words, you know what your bonus is, but you're actually getting delivered the stock tomorrow. Well, that's not good. I mean, you know, two months ago when you learned how much you were going to get or three months, it was a lot higher. Um, And by the way, Investment Bank, well, they perform quite well. M&A, Capital Markets, they've done very well in SPACs. So those people are also being penalized and or, Jim, and you know this, of course, having worked on Wall Street for many years, they're going to start. They are. They're looking around because the question for CS becomes how not just because of the stock price fall and therefore they're not getting nearly as much as they thought they were, but how do we incent them? How do we pay them more this year when we've already lost, what, five and a half billion dollars? They wiped out how many years of investment banking earnings? Yeah. Uh, this uh, also, David, I'm surprised you're not more pejorative. OK. Frankly, because this is one where every day we think it's over. Capital rate, midnight capital raise. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, honestly. This is another reason why there's pressure on the stock. Uh, CNBC Europe did speak to uh, Credit Suisse's really? CEO. We should take a listen to what he had to say about the quarter. The loss we had in Arkegos was unacceptable, and we had to take actions in terms of uh, management changes. We are reducing our exposure uh, in this business. We are reviewing our risk uh, controls and systems in that area. We uh, reduced our exposures to the underlying positions now by over 97%. Uh, We had to take another roughly $600 million loss uh, in the second quarter. But at the same time, we have taken action also on the capital side. We have raised uh, almost $2 billion through uh, two series of mandatory convertibles. Uh, And we have now uh, an implied uh, CT1 ratio of 13%. If you take all the measures uh, into account that happened since the um, uh, 1st of April. Yeah. All right. Well, meanwhile, they didn't even have the systems in place to accurately understand exactly what was at risk in the moment, the way clearly their competitors were able to. Um, It's somewhat shocking that that was not the case, Jim. Um, I I have to tell you, I, I don't think that man that we just saw had any idea that this was going on in this bank. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Um, 
Carl, it is important to note uh, Archegos was incredibly profitable for many of these prime brokers. I mean, I, there's one, and I won't name the name but uh, because I haven't confirmed it fully, but let's just say I'm pretty confident that in one quarter they earn $140 million in fees. From what and account? In, from, yes. What red and flag? In, That's the biggest red flag I've ever obviously heard. Obviously, the leverage that he was taking at Archegos. Oh but that can give you a sense as to the allure here of why... Arcagos was such an important client or why they would do business with 140 million bucks for one of these prime brokerage. Just one in a quarter. Um, now, of course, at the end, uh, they lost more than they made. And he had those relationships so many different places. But fascinating story involving Credit Suisse. How will they keep their people in this environment? And then, of course, the larger. Also, there's always that question of does the Swiss government ever say, hey, you know what? Maybe you and UBS would make a good combination. Right. This guy is... He's not Malaysia, Archegos, no. but this is staggering. And I don't know how anyone keeps their job. Anyone? Anyone. Yeah. There's a board. There is. There is. Um, and, well, you know, Carl, and, then, what, what, and then obviously, uh, by the way, what, uh, I don't know if you saw Discovery and Viacom had good days yesterday. Say, I was going to say Viacom. Up. They may have bottomed. Yeah, yeah well, I said, that on, knows, uh, but, I said that and yeah. then immediately on Twitter. Yeah. People just say, are you kidding? No, no, no. But, Carl, the one thing that is certain is that there's always another shootable in this thing. And I don't know whether we're done. I don't know whether I we're th- done. I, think, I mean, I think we're there. No, with other firms. Oh, I see. Think, I think, listen, I mean, you've got Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, UBS. I think he had Wells Fargo. He had some. Nomura. I mean, and by the way, there's other firms. He had at least seven or eight relationships with Prime. What he was doing, Carl, was... Shocking, somewhat irrational, and yet it seems to have worked for him in the past because he had an enormous family office. Did anyone have a vaccine against him? Well, J.P. Morgan and Moderna. J.P. Morgan. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Credit Suisse would have told you a few months ago, guys, that being aggressive uh, paid off on prime brokerage, uh, paid off on SPACs and equities. Sort of brings to mind the Goldman note this morning on just what has happened to SPAC issuance in uh, Costin's words has come screeching to a halt. We'll talk about that after the break. Uh, meantime, a CEO doubleheader. We'll talk to Southwest Gary Kelly about his company's results. He says he believes the worst is behind us regarding weakness in travel demand. But first, Dow CEO Jim Fitterling on everything from earnings to ESG. So stay with us. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. 
You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, Dow is out with earnings this morning. It beat on both earnings and revenue estimates. Joining us now is Jim Fitterling. He's the chairman and CEO. Jim, always good to have you. Uh, Good morning to you. Let's just um, start off on pricing. Uh, up 19 percent year over year and 14 percent sequentially. Give me your sense as to whether that is going to continue or where pricing is going to be perhaps six months from now. Good morning, David. It's great to be with you. And uh, pricing is strong because demand is strong right now. And when you add in the fact that we uh, lost some time to winter storm Uri, and already had some tight uh, inventory levels and low inventory levels in some of our chains, it feels like it's about a 13-month demand year and about an 11-month supply year. So my outlook is it's going to be tight this way uh, for the rest of the year. I, I said on our earnings call today, I, I don't think I have an opportunity to really build inventory until probably the end of the year. Wow. All right. Now, I know you guys don't give specific earnings or EBITDA guidance, but you do give sort of a range. You know, I just wonder, given that view of pricing uh, and the fact that it won't retreat, um, how should those who follow the company very closely view your ability to actually exceed what at least the analysts have out there right now for EBITDA targets? Well, we delivered 2.3 billion of EBITDA in a quarter. Um, if you add back 400 million for the loss that we saw from winter storm Uri, and probably another 375 million from margin momentum, and just take off about uh, 200, 250 million for our own expenses in the quarter, which are are slightly up. This is turnaround season for us. You know, you get to a uh, guidance number that's probably up about 600 million. Uh, sequentially. So we're expecting second quarter to be uh, our strongest quarter since we spun out. And I think looking at the order log and order book and the backlog, I I think it's going to continue in through third quarter and the rest of the year. Jim, Jim Kramer, uh, I'm getting rave reviews about your call. Uh, And obviously, much is going right. Uh, EBITDA spin, it sounds, what, 12 to 13? Uh, Sounds much better now. How much can this thing make? It can, Jim. I think um, as we came out of spin, we thought the the bottom end was six billion, and and last year you could see in in a trough in a COVID induced trough, we were at five point six billion, and so we'd stress tested that number, and at the top end we said twelve to thirteen billion. Uh, additionally, today what we talked about on the call is we have a series of incremental growth projects, some of which started up in the first quarter. Uh, which we think will add another billion dollars uh, to our core earnings uh, through the cycle. And so they'll start coming up, uh, and we'll bring them on this year and the next several years. Uh, we took CapEx for growth. Uh, we increased CapEx this year to $1.6 billion. Our depreciation level is 2.2. I think we can steadily march it up to that level and start to see, you know, these lower capital, higher return, faster payback projects Uh, add to our bottom line. I mentioned on the call, I think next year you'll see probably $150 million plus uh, out of those kind of investments. That's incredible. And yet you're uh, very tough on yourself. Uh, 
many pages of benchmarking, which you can't admit you have more work to do. We do. We always have work to do. I mean, uh, that's why we do the benchmarking is to determine what the gaps are and close those gaps. And I think we've got some um, uh, sectors that, that still haven't recovered yet from COVID. And I'm optimistic. You know, this this rebound has been on the back of consumer spending, uh, starting to be a, a recovery in automotive. Uh, even though it's not back to where it was pre-COVID, it's moving in the right direction. Uh, residential construction has been on fire. And, of course, all the associated electronics and durable goods uh, has been on fire as well. But the industrial sector is just starting to fire. Uh, PMIs in March, manufacturing PMIs hit a 15-year high. Well, that's one of the first strong indicators we've had from the industrial sector. And I think as that comes on, as people get comfortable traveling again, as governments let us travel again, uh, we're going to start to see uh, another leg up on this. Well, this is why we love the industrial so much right now in the cycle. Most important uh, slide, I think, really, Jim, was Plastic Circularity Roadmap drives near and long-term growth on Earth Day here. Stop the waste, one million metric tons of plastic to be collected. Uh, do you think that I know that you've told me many times it's really not the United States, although we're not that great recycling. Where are we in terms of convincing whole countries that they have to recycle better? I think we've made a lot of ground, and I think we're going to make ground in the United States as well. I think there's some very positive things happening. Um, You know, getting back into Paris, I think, gives the U.S. a seat at the table to influence policies. Um, But on plastics recycling, one of the biggest things that's happened is consumer demand is creating a demand pull that had not been there. If If I went back five years ago, 10 years ago, you just didn't have the demand for the product. There were a lot of concerns that Recycled materials wouldn't be as clean uh, and wouldn't be as good. And so mechanical recycling has been the primary mode for recycling plastics because it's inexpensive. It takes low energy. But advanced recycling really opens up new possibilities. I can turn products that many consider to be unrecyclable into their feedstocks and back into materials that could be used again in, for example, food packaging. Um, That opens up a huge demand, and all the consumer brands are looking for that that demand to be filled. And I think the policies are going to move us that direction. So we announced one today with Mura Technologies, a, a new pilot that we'll try in the UK. Uh, we've got several going on here. Uh, down in Houston, we've got one with Avangard Innovative, which helps us supply materials for our post-consumer recycled products. And then we're working on partnerships like the city of Baltimore uh, with Rarig Pacific, who is one of our longtime partners to get accessibility to recycling, to really bring that raw material in so that we can meet that consumer demand. Right. I mean, obviously, uh, we, uh, we all want you to reach those goals, but it also helps if you can actually do it efficiently and make money from it, Jim. I mean, will this become, if in fact you kind of hit these targets, can it become a potential profit center for the company? Mm. I do think it will. I think it will shift the way we do things. You have, to, you have to take into account, you know, the returns are, are against what we pay for raw materials today. So I have to look at the cost of this versus raw materials. But I also have to look at what the market will pay for the recycled materials. Historically, we haven't seen a consumer willing to pay anything for it. But that's changing pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to see margin on both ends of this. And then the other thing I think we're moving toward, and we're a long way from having agreement on what it should be, uh, is some market-related price on carbon. 
Right. Uh, that allows the financial markets to come in and make investments in this space where they can get a return. And I do think there will be a return to be made. And if we leverage the financial markets and get a market-related price on carbon, this thing will take off. Yeah, that we get that a lot. Real quick, uh, Jim, the infrastructure bill, we don't talk about it as much. I mean, given the environment right now, but if that does get through and we do get another $2 trillion, is, is that going to have an impact on pricing as well? Well, there's probably 680 to 800 billion of that spending that will create a demand pull for products that we make and sell. So that will be helpful. I think the question is on the pay-fors is whether it'll make us competitive or not. You know, we just had a big move on taxes that got us competitive with the rest of the OECD. And so we've got to be careful that we don't at the same time we need to pay for this infrastructure. And I agree we need infrastructure investment. We've got to make sure we don't make ourselves uncompetitive because our other stated objective is to increase manufacturing in the United States. Jim, always appreciate taking time. Thank you. Good to see you. you Thank too. you. Stay safe. I will. Carl. Plenty more still to come, guys. Uh, airlines and travel uh, rebounding amid the pandemic. Uh, Southwest share is going to open within a buck or two of an all-time high. We'll talk to Gary Kelly in a first on CNBC interview in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Three big reports out of the airlines today, American, uh, Southwest, and Alaska. Take a look at some of the gainers here. Uh, we'll be approaching some of their all-time highs. And as we said, we'll talk to Gary Kelly of Southwest after the opening bell, which we'll get in about five and a half minutes. All right, we got a mad dash, and we'll get you to the opening bell. So many different uh, companies to watch oh, this morning. Hi. But you like Chipotle here? Well, I think that maybe people don't like Chipotle enough. Uh, it's been an amazing stock, but when I see 17% same-store sales, good. I see a 21 million loyalty per, uh, member when they didn't even have a loyalty program two years ago. Uh, Super Bowl ad did matter. They can handle a minimum wage boost. Uh, the stores themselves are making a fortune, and digital pickup is the most profitable. David, what, I'm saying, what I hear about this one is basically there's Chipotle and then there's everybody else. And, you know, they can talk about cauliflower rice and it's meaningful. They can talk about quesadillas and it's meaningful. A Super Bowl ad is meaningful. Why? Because they are so at the top of their game and they know so much about their customers. They're so in touch with their customers that I, I once again, I find their comfortable joyous because they tell a story of love of the customers, but also of tremendous proficiency in technology. Right. So it's as much a technology story in some ways as it is. Exactly. A, and now you're starting to get people to come back to the stores. So you're going to get unit volumes. Maybe you can get unit volumes of three million, but you can get easy unit volumes of two and a half. Remember, they own the stores. Uh, David, this is a company, Jack Hartung, the CFO on the conference call, 
is they know every single every single detail of what happens if they add a different uh, if they add a drink. They're not happy with the drinks right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they add a new something to the menu. And those of us who had, say, cauliflower rice, we, it, it moves the needle. You know, David, there was a lot of stuff. I, mean, I don't want to conflate Apple necessarily with Chipotle, but they're two well-run companies. Yes. Their products at Apple and Chipotle, people don't think they can move the needle. They do. Whether it's a big company like Apple or uh, a smaller company like Chipotle, it's great to hear management issuing products that do change the earnings forecast. And yep. uh, that's what it should be about. And with Chipotle, it definitely is. Katie Huber yesterday with Apple, it is. Right. And people sneer. They say, oh, come on, nothing matters. That's wrong. Innovation matters. In the case of a menu, loyalty matters. $21 million. There was no loyalty program two years ago. I just think it was incredibly impressive. I think the stock goes much higher. Carl, uh, over to you for the opening bell and so many other uh, um, earnings to get to alone, not to mention movers. Yeah, we're chipping away, guys. There's the opening bell at the uh, NYSE and the NASDAQ, guys. Um, as we tried to, um, we avoided three days down yesterday with those gains, but futures were a little bit sticky. We, we'll see where we get. Jim, your point about uh, day parts and, uh, and margins and comps at Chipotle is important because uh, you got to get that lunchtime business back. That was a big lesson out of the Coke uh, earnings call. Goldman is now tracking uh, card swipes at the office. And they did cite a study yesterday that said that 80 percent of workers are expected back in the office by year end. But we will see. Look, I think it's happening. It's happening now. And we're going to speak to Gary Kelly. And he's going to talk about uh, business travel and how that's coming back. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening that are surprising people uh, uh, on a positive way. And, and yet here we are, Carl, with good claims and interest rates. They didn't go up. I mean, all of this great news, interest rates aren't going up. David, what's happening with the overall? Is it just because our rates are so much higher than the rest of the world? Because the news flow, whether it be Dow Chemical, whether it be South, South, Southwest, whether it be American, is I so mean, great. It, well, I mean, pricing at Dow up, up 19% year over year, 14% sequentially. Jay Powell did not. I hope he, he you know, maybe he stepped out for a moment. Because I don't, yeah, and there's nothing also, transitory and then, about that. You know, Steve Leeson reporting yesterday, but many have reported on it. We've been following it closely here at CNBC. The, I mean, the, the, the port issues, uh, just because there are so much stuff yeah. that they just can't get to it. The chip shortage. Oh, my. The chip shortage um, is, is so bad. And, I mean, and Ford again. And spreading. Uh, you know, Jim, that does raise that question. Uh, I don't know. Do they know what they're doing over there at the Fed? Uh, let's give them a chance. You have to uh, you have to give the Fed a chance because if you looked at Superstorm Uri and the initial impact it had on Dow, right. and then it came back down, uh, it's okay. A lot of people put through price increases. Uh, Union Pacific, by the way, which my child trust owns, disappointing, and yet that's port related. No, I mean that's they have port. I mean right. their numbers weren't that good, so not everybody is uh, is reeling in the dollars. How no. about that? No. Um, let's get to some other movers this morning. AT&T shares. Uh, John Stanky was a guest on, uh, on Squawk Box this morning. Always a good interview. And it sure was. Just answers, actually answers questions. Always refreshing. I liked when he was asked about the dividend. He said, you know what will help? If we get the stock price up. I, I thought that was like a Jeopardy answer. Yeah. You should have put it in the form of a question. Yeah. That was the best part of that interview. That was, what uh, is get stack, stock price up? Yeah, he's like, hey, if we do our job and get our <laughs> stock price up, you're not going to stop talking about our darn yield. 
Um, but the overall number is at t You can see you don't usually see that stock move. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it during the course of the day because I can see I remember seeing responses like this in the past. And then they sort of fade as the day goes on. But as in contrast, in the wireless business, in contrast to Verizon yesterday, um, they didn't lose any subscribers. They gained. Uh, churn was 0.76. And, you know, they keep giving us the numbers on uh, on HBO, um, up 11 million subs. And that question, of course, continues to be about competition. We talked so much about it yesterday with those Netflix numbers and whether that is real, even though Netflix says it's not a function of real uh, competition. Um, they want to make the point at AT&T that, hey, our ARPU is significant, over 11 bucks. This is real cash. Most of these relationships now are direct with us, with the consumer, as opposed to using a wholesaler, so not the cable distribution partner. And therefore, there's more money for them, and it's a direct relationship, which they like doing. The bundling that they continue to do with the wireless product, perhaps helping to reduce churn there. Um, so overall, and again, I'm not going to go any more than that because they had Stanky on Squawk Box. Hopefully people listen to him. Uh, but a positive quarter from AT&T, Jim. Yeah, and, and Carl, we have not had anything that is bad in the last 24 hours except for the stock market. And I find it uh, somewhat counterintuitive because you'll get a company like Glamour Search last night, which will basically say, look, we can't meet the demand. You have Danaher today. You can't meet the demand. Dow, hard time to meet the demand. Uh, and yet interest rates aren't going up. So I think that the, the actual anomaly here, Carl, is, is that stocks aren't roaring uh, because I think they should be. There's a lot of good news. Yeah, uh, Jim, there's, uh, I mean, a couple thoughts on that. One is this, uh, this Goldman note this morning out of David Costin that uh, we're at uh, peak economic growth. And um, in Costin's words, since 1980, S&P returns are about half uh, of uh, when, when data is accelerating and growing and positive versus positive and decelerating. So there's the, there's the peak growth argument. There's also what J.P. Morgan said earlier in the week, and that is because there are uh, more hiccups in Europe, certainly more hiccups in India and Asia, that that rolling effect of the reopening around the world is going to keep uh, yields in check, even as the U.S. does pretty well by comparison. Well, look, the stocks that are really moving are the stocks that do well when the economy is slowing, which is always so difficult. The ones I look at, uh, I look at, at CrowdStrike, I look at Ring Central. I know that's not necessarily a company that's on people's mind, but it's a great indicator. Roku, I, I look at. Okta. And these are all the ones that just turn up immediately, Carl, the moment that people think slow down. It's just so hard. David, it's so hard to analyze. Right I know. Uh, well, let's move on to airlines because, of course, uh, always good to have Kelly. Well, this is a good example of what I'm talking about in terms of a company that is, de- that is demonstrating tremendous foresight and doing well. It's the shares of Southwest, and they're justifiably up. Uh, the airline saying that leisure bookings continue to rise, that expects to break even or better by June. Therefore, I'm putting it at the top of the queue of the airlines. Joining us now, first on CNBC, Southwest Chairman and CEO Gary Kelly. Gary, you just got it. You really do. You make me feel terrific when I read what you're up to. Well, well, thanks, Jim. Uh, you know, it's uh, gosh, it's it's been a horrendous. 12, 14 months. And, you know, thank goodness for a vaccine. Thank goodness people are getting vaccinated. And thank uh, goodness people are ready to uh, get back uh, to their lives and uh, move about the country. And we're ready to serve them. Well, it's interesting you say that because you said something in your release that was, I felt really great. You were on a couple quarters ago and last quarter, and you said, there's nowhere to go. This time you actually referenced the beach. I mean, people are going places. And it sounds like that the pent-up demand is extraordinary. 
Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh, Jim, the other thing that we have to do here is we have to add the flights. So there was really an inflection point back in March. We had spring break coming. The bookings were coming on pretty strong. And overnight, we increased our flight activity mid-March. I think it was March the 11th by 50%. We added 1,000 flights a day. And so the seats are available, and fortunately, uh, we're filling them up. And, and that's what they're doing. They're going to the beaches. They're going to the mountains. They're going to the desert. They're going to Phoenix. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully, slowly but surely, the, uh, the coast, uh, west coast, east coast, metropolitan areas in particular, uh, they'll start to open up more. And uh, California's starting to open up more. Uh, and we'll see, uh, uh, hopefully, a, a good response there as well. All right. I, I hate to bring up a fly in the ointment, but uh, 32 Max is pulled. I mean, at what point, uh, you put in really big orders with Boeing, at what point do you just say, you know what, guys, I am a huge customer. You have to execute better. Yeah, this is obviously disappointing. It's a manufacturing issue, and um, it's fairly minor, fairly straightforward, but, you know, we just can't afford to have any uh, ill consequence here. So I think everybody's operating out of an abundance of caution. We're working with Boeing to get a service bulletin out and get the FAA to uh, issue an airworthiness directive so we can get to work and get them back in the, in the air. So it's not a real complex, uh, lengthy uh, issue at all. And at least we're at the point right now where we still have surplus airplanes, so, you know, there's no customer impact. But, uh, yeah, we, we need to uh, obviously execute here and uh, have, uh, you know, our supplier execute, that is, and get back to business. And, you know, we need, we get, we need the max. It's just in time because business is starting to pick up. You know, Gary, you've been so candid with us over the years about the MAX. Uh, Pre-COVID, you came on the show and said, uh, we have one issue, and it's the MAX. Uh, you came on the show a little bit later on and said the board would look at possible fleet diversification. What was the argument uh, to look beyond Boeing as a, as a supplier? Did, did, you, did you ever get close? Uh, was, it, uh, was it cost that really drove you away from that uh, consideration? Well, it, I think it was a number of things, but uh, obviously no company wants to be uh, dependent upon uh, a sole supplier, uh, if you will. And at the same time, there are huge advantages and benefits by having one aircraft type. Uh, as, as the whole world knows by now, we're celebrating 50 years in two months, and uh, we're, we're famous for that. So as long as the, you know, the, the product is... Uh, the best in the world, uh, and you have the best relationship, I think that that can work. So we, uh, uh, I think we did our job. You know, we, we looked at that very, very carefully and um, worked primarily with our current supplier and reached the agreement that, that you all are, are aware of uh, back in March, which um, we've, got the, we've got the best narrow-body um, contract, I think, in the world with the MAX 8 and now with the MAX 7. We need to have two versions of the, of the 737, a larger 175-seater and something more uh, in the 150-seat range. And now with that agreement, uh, we have that solidified. And uh, I think we're set. I think we're set for the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. Wow. And I'm very, very excited about that. So there are huge advantages on the cost side, on the operational side, um, and, you know, being expert in one thing seems like it's safer uh, to me uh, as well. So um, 
Uh, in any event, we're very pleased with where we are, and uh, Boeing's a great company, and have no doubt they'll mm. continue to do a great job for us. Hmm. You know, Gary, the industry as a whole has been dinged a couple of times uh, because of the amount of cash they spent on buybacks over the decade, only to receive billions in aid when an emergency came along. Longer term, as, as cash flow, as again, cash burn is more sustainable, uh, will the industry look at, at buybacks differently, structurally differently? Well, you know, I can't really speak for the industry, as you know. Um, I think uh, as a proxy, I would certainly argue that buybacks need to be used very prudently. I think Southwest is a great example of where it worked. We came into the crisis uh, in 2020 with the lowest debt to total capital that we'd ever had in our history. And so that's just evidence that when we did use buybacks, we used them appropriately. If you have high leverage uh, and if you are impairing your ability to be able to grow or um, withstand a crisis, then obviously it's, 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 it's not the appropriate use. So um, I think uh, we're years away from when buybacks would make sense for us. The first thing that we need to do as we uh, recover uh, and begin to stabilize uh, and work our way back to prosperity here is we need to pay down all this debt that we have. And as you saw in the release, we have more cash by far than we have debt outstanding, so we're in a splendid position to be able to do that. But that needs to be the top priority, uh, and, and it will be. Gary, the return of business travel has certainly got to be key to your future profitability. Uh, how do you view that? I, you know, and I'm even curious as to how you're trying to get a sense for when it will come back and how much of it will actually come back, both in the second half of this year, but even more importantly, in terms of the really longer term trends. Well, and again, I'll just re repeat what we've been talking about over the past year. It, some of these things are just not predictable. Uh, we can come up with theories and we can speculate, but uh, in, in the end, I just don't know. We talk to business customers, so we have some basis to give you an answer there. But in the end, you just don't know. So all we can do is plan. And we would be foolish to plan for a quick recovery of business travel. So the, the, the good news about Southwest Airlines and why I'm so excited is that we're a low-cost business model. We're very well suited for this environment. Uh, we are certainly uh, in a position where we can be prosperous and profitable uh, with mostly leisure travel, which is very different than our business model leading up to this. Uh, we're arguably the, arguably the largest business uh, travel airline in the country just because we're, we carry more customers than anybody else. Uh, so we'll be prepared for a, a long recovery period. It could be two years. It could be five years, which is more typical of a post-recession. It could be 10 years, for all I know, because of all the technology enablement uh, that uh, hurts uh, business travel. So we'll just have to see. In any event, we'll be doing everything that we can to promote it. We've entered the global distribution systems, which will make managed travel uh, much easier on Southwest. And I would expect that we'll see a significant increase uh, in our uh, mix uh, of that travel. But right now, you know, the first quarter business travel was down still 80 to 90 percent, uh, you know, pick your point in time. So uh, we have a long way to go on that front. In the meantime, as, uh, as Jim pointed out, you know, we're looking forward hopefully to, to breaking even or even making a little profit in June. 
And that's with this current environment. That's uh, with uh, mostly leisure travel. And that's what low cost do for us. It puts us in a position where we can offer low fares, which leisure component is mostly interested in, and uh, still be very successful. Gary, you're a leader in many different uh Many different initiatives in the industry. Where are you right now with uh, your your climate goals? Trying to get the earth more clean. Well, it's uh, it, it's it's a, a, a huge a challenge for the industry, but it is an important objective uh, for all of us uh, as good stewards of our planet. Uh, I'm proud of what Southwest has done as an individual airline. We have reduced our carbon emissions per departure by 50% over the last 20 years. And that's just pure self-help. That is us modernizing our fleet with more fuel-efficient engines, adding more fuel-efficient uh, operating procedures. And uh, I'm, again, I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, we support the uh, Airlines for America goal of uh, net zero carbon emissions in 2050. And that is our goal. And we will strive to beat that. In order to do that, the government's going to have to play a huge role here, though, because that requires air traffic control modernization that actually reduces the time in air and therefore emissions. That is a huge opportunity. We've been talking about that for years. Secondly, we'll be very reliant upon the energy sector providing a supply of sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, that will dramatically reduce uh, carbon emissions. We can't do that as the airlines. We've got to have the energy industry doing that. And um, the government's going to have to play a significant role there uh, as well. Uh, and then finally, the whole uh, opportunity of carbon capture and sequestration, I think, holds great promise. Uh, and once again, the government will need to play a huge role there and support uh, R&D going forward. But it's, a, it's an important issue. It's one that we're very committed to. I'm the chairman of the A4A uh, for the next uh, year and a half or so. And uh, that we're, we are all aligned as an industry uh, in meeting or beating those goals of carbon, carbon neutral 2050. You know, Gary, David and I were talking during the break, and we were trying to figure out whether our country is really ready to do the right thing. Uh, with the president, who's so committed to the environment, could, when you say the government has to play a huge role... Uh, is that realistic, given the fact that uh, it, our country doesn't seem to have the will? Well, it's a complicated topic, uh, Jim. So, uh, you know, the United States can't do this by itself either. You know, so these, this is a worldwide initiative or it won't happen. Uh, so all we can do is try to do our part. We're definitely going to do the things that we control. We'll continue to modernize our fleet. The MAX plays a huge role in that. It's 15% more fuel efficient. That's 15% less carbon emissions. And it's 40% quieter. So uh, that is the future. And it, it will take us a generation uh, to turn our fleet over so that we're 100% uh, MAX, uh, if you will. And then hopefully by then, of course, there's a next generation still. But uh, that won't, that alone won't close the gap. So that's my point is that it will take, it, it, well, it, it's just it, a lot of the break. Uh, the Internet uh, was the government. So there are many, many things that, um, that the government can, can do to help our society. Uh, the, 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 the miracle of having these vaccines available in a year that's, ba that's because of government research and investment 
that was going on for years and years to put us in a position where that could happen. So the same thing needs to happen here in terms of at least sustainable aviation fuels and certainly the air traffic control system, which the government owns and manages. So they're fully accountable on that. Well, uh, Gary, make me feel more optimistic than I did um, because there are people like you who care much more than uh, than others. And if we, you're a leader and if you get others to follow you, maybe we get somewhere. Uh, congratulations. Good quarter, Gary Kelly. And uh, always great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jim. It's always great to be with you all. Thank you. Carl, back to you. All right, guys, let's get to Rick Santelli. Uh, check on the bond market this morning. Hey, Rick. Hey, good morning, Carl. We had some pretty good data points out with initial continuing claims, both both the post-COVID low levels. We know bringing people back gets complicated considering some of the benefits out there. Look at a two-day of 10s. Yesterday's low yield was 155. We're doing a bit of work under that. That gives you a clue how the day's going. Look at a year-to-date of 10s. The right side, that April, well, we are definitely in smaller ranges and definitely in a retracement mode. How far down we go below 152 is what traders are thinking about. Year-to-date of Barclays high yield spread. Notice how it's contracted. Really quite amazing. We were actually under 300 in February. Haven't really done that since prior to the credit crisis. Borrowing's cheap for corporations. Uh, ECB had their meeting today. Look at boom deals. Dropping like a rock, so is the value of the euro. Their PEP program, Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, is going to remain at elevated levels. They elevated it in the last meeting in March. It's around 17 billion versus 14.5 billion euros. And that continuation putting some pressure on both those markets, as you see. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, uh, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, when we come back, we'll check in uh, with uh, Lance Fritz of uh, Union Pacific. Talk about how they're managing the pandemic and the recovery, of course. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Markets paying close attention to supply constraints. Dow is the biggest laggard on the Dow Jones Industrial Average right now. You can see down 4%. On a morning where really only a couple sectors are green, industrials barely, and communication services. More Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Jim, you have got a packed show tonight. Yes, uh, in honor of my colleague, uh, what is a blockbuster show? Must be answered in the form of a question. We've got Nestle, which is the biggest company over there in Europe. Yeah. Uh, we've got Mattel, which has been just a, an amazing story. And then Pat Gelsinger, Intel. Why not? I'll tune in for that. I'll put the CEO of Intel I'll on. tune in for that. He's back. That company's back. It's bigger than ever. That's the word. But we'll see. Thank you, Carl. Wow. David? We can't, can't wait to see the print tonight, Jim. We'll yeah. see you at 6. Uh, Mad Money, of course, with Jim Cramer. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.